Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. All right, now this morning, we are kicking off a series, as I said just a moment ago, brand new series that we're simply calling Breakthrough. Live by faith, advance with grace. Now, this series, typically a series here at Encounter Church, is about four, six, maybe eight weeks long. But as we began to process through this series, originally I thought it was going to be about nine weeks long. But as I began to work through the book of Romans, it's what we're studying, I realized there's no way to get through the book of Romans in just nine weeks. So we're going to take at least 18 weeks to work through this series. I know I just saw, literally, just saw a jaw drop to the ground on this side of the room. Just happened right now. But why are we doing it? Why are we taking the time to spend so much time going through the book of Romans? Well, now this is more than just a topical series. This is more than and grabbing a topic on evangelism or, or love or heart change or whatever and processing through a few ideas on this. We're going to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we're going to discover what God's Word has to say to us through the words that Paul wrote in the book of Romans. 16 chapters in 18 weeks. I think we can do it. Now, truth be told, we could honestly spend an entire year processing through this book and still have more information that we could work through together, but we're going to do our best in 18 weeks to really grab an understanding of what God is speaking to our hearts. I truly hope that that through this great series, Breakthrough, that we'll come out on the other side free from some of those things that have held us back for many of years. Now, you can think of that thing right now. Many of you, you're like, man, there's this situation in my life. There's this struggle in my life. There's this turmoil going on in my life, and I need a breakthrough on it. That's what we're going to discover how to do and how to accomplish over the next several weeks. But I would encourage you, don't just allow this hour and 15 minute moment, this 35 minute message to be your all in all saving moments. But I would encourage you over the next several weeks as we process through the book of Romans to read along with us. I I told you a moment ago, we're going to go chapter by chapter. We're going to take about a chapter a week. So if you want to read along with us this week, read Romans chapter one. And next Sunday, when we come together, you're going to be ready as we process through what Romans chapter 1 has to say to us. Now, this morning is going to be more of a a groundwork, establishing a foundation that we're going to build upon for the weeks to come. Truth be told, the book of Romans as a whole has had life-changing effects for many, many years. It literally has changed history. Well, pastor, what are you talking about? How has a book of the Bible, how is the book of Romans, some of you in the room have never read the book of Romans. How's this particular book, how has it changed history? Well, history tells us that St. Augustine became a Christian 
because of a passage that he read in this great book. It is said that after reading a particular passage in the book of Romans, that Augustine felt that his heart was flooded with light, that he turned his life away from a life of sin and turned to Christ. It was Martin Luther that started the Protestant Reformation because of the book of Romans. Just one scripture in the book of Romans brought Luther out of mere religion or religiosity into the joy of salvation by grace through faith. It was Romans chapter 1 verse 17 that made this great impact on Martin Luther's life. This scripture simply says, the just shall live by faith. As a result of, the, of these words, John Wesley heard from Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, we are told that the great Wesleyan revival swept across England and transformed a nation, all because of this one particular book in the Bible. So imagine with me this morning, you and I, have the opportunity to learn from the same text that these great men of history, that they learned from and were revolutionally changed. These words that changed people and changed the nation are now at, at our disposal. I believe that now is the time for a breakthrough. Amen? I believe that God has something great in store for his people. Man, if you've been a part of our Wednesday night worship services, you will agree with me that God is beginning to stir, that God is beginning to move, that something great is right before us, right around the corner. I believe that a breakthrough is about to take place in this church, in this body of believers. But I would challenge you, come in every week expecting God to do something great. You see, if you just come in and go, well, I'm just going to do church, I'll sit in my regular seat where I always sit, I'll drink the same coffee that I always drink, I'll park in the same parking spot that I always park in, I'll talk to the same people that I always talk to, I'll raise my hand to the same point and maybe something will happen. Guess what? Nothing's going to happen. But if you come into the house of God say, Lord, I believe that this is the house of miracles. God, I believe that today is a time for a breakthrough in my life. God, I believe that today is a time of breakthrough for my family. God, I believe that today is a time that you're going to move mightily amongst your people. Lord, I'm expecting an outpouring of your spirits. You see, when we come expecting from God, guess what? He shows up every single time. Now is our time for a breakthrough. This morning, we're going to take some time. This message has the potential of being more of a, a teaching message than it does a preaching message. We're going to find out some of the, the foundational truths of the book of Romans. Why? 
Why are we going to take the time to look at some of the, the backstory and, and who's writing it and all these things? Because it, it's vitally important that when you read the Word of God, listen carefully, it's important that when you read the Word of God, you understand what's happening, what's going on, who's being spoken to, why they're being spoken to, who's writing that book. You've got to understand the full context of the Scripture. Amen? You see, we can't be guilty of just kind of picking and choosing and just opening up and taking a scripture out of context and trying to twist it and, and mold it and shape it to, to meet what we want. See, that's what our culture right now was guilty of. Our culture right now, on both sides, are so guilty of just grabbing a scripture and, and throwing it out there. Well, the Bible says, well, it may say that. But what's it saying around it? What brings us to that moment? What brings us to the reason for this text or for this scripture? So this morning, we're going to take some time and lay a little bit of groundwork and then some application on the backside. Our text is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. We'll begin and end with this scripture today. It says, through Christ. Would you say that with me? Through Christ. Why is that important? Because all of this, all of the good news, all of the gospel, it all happens through Christ. From the beginning of time, all things were created through Christ. Everything has happened through Christ. He is the funnel which everything flows. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege, given who? Us, us, who's that include? Us, okay, okay. Given us the privilege. By the way, Paul here, and, and wow, I just gave away the first point. Paul is the author, but that's okay, you'll get there. Paul is writing to the Christian, he's writing to the church, a group of Jewish people, a group of Gentiles joined together, a multicultural church joining together. He's writing to them, he's saying, hey guys, listen up, through the cost that Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary, God has given us, the church, the follower, the believer, he has given us the privilege and the authority Come on, some of us lack that authority. Some of, the, some of us in the house today, we're, we're real prone to allow the enemy to take authority rather than us take authority. Come on, that'll preach right there. You've got to take authority in the name of Jesus Christ. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm victorious in the name of Jesus. The things that the enemy throws your direction has no authority in your life. The sickness that he plagues you with has no authority over your life. The, the struggles that you have in your life have no authority over your life because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Now, I told you this is going to be more teaching, so i got to stop preaching and get back here. He's given us the privilege and the authority. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got authority. As apostles to tell Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Anybody that's not a Jew. Look across the room right now. Look at your other neighbor. You know your second choice. Look at them and say, you're a Gentile. 
to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him. Basically, what we're talking about here is the Great Commission. Jesus said that, that we have been given authority, that we are to go and share the good news with everyone everywhere, the good news of Jesus Christ. And here, Paul is stating this in different words, but he's saying that through Christ, through the price that he paid, God's given us the authority to go to those out side that are broken, that are lost, that are without Christ, and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ so they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name, not glory to self, not glory to the church, not glory to anyone else, but glory to God. I want you to hold on to this scripture. We're going to come back to it in just a few moments and give some application. With this in mind, I'm going to give you a few very basics of the book of Romans. Number one, three questions that we must ask about Romans. Number one is this, who wrote the book of Romans? Now, I shared this with you just a few moments ago. Did you catch it? Who was it? Paul. Good job. You guys are listening this morning. Paul wrote the book of Romans. He's the apostle. He's, he's the author of this great book. Now, for some of you here today, you are well-versed on who Paul is. You know a lot about Paul. You can talk about his, his encounter with God. You can talk about his prison experience, him being shipwrecked, and all these other things. You know his connection to the church. But for others of you in the room, you don't know Paul at all. You're not familiar with with who he is. So I think it's vitally important that we take the time to really process through more about Paul so that we can understand the author and his authority in writing this great book. And why did he choose to write it? Let's look at the very beginning, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Let me read this again. This letter is from Paul, a, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. We're going to start this morning by looking at Paul's qualifications. He begins this book in a little bit of a strange way. He's introducing himself to the church. Now, we would imagine that all the churches knew Paul. I mean, he's Paul. Surely they know who he is, but truth be told, many of the people in the church of Rome had no idea who Paul was. Now, history tells us that the church in Rome was potentially started by a group of individuals that were converts. In other words, they gave their life to Christ under Paul's ministry and then had moved to Rome. At that point, they began having small Bible studies in their home, or we would call them life groups. Let me give you a little plug for life groups. Life groups are starting back up this fall. If you have not yet plugged into a life group, if you haven't been part of a life group, let me encourage you to do so. Some of your greatest growth spiritually and relationally is going to happen in a life group. 
I wish I could tell you that all you need is a Sunday morning, hour and 15 minutes, and your life is going to be revolutionized and changed. But can I just tell you, we need more than just an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. We were built for community. We need this time of sharpening one another, of growing together, of building upon one another, of encouraging and correcting one another. We need this time. It's vitally important. I want to encourage you, be a part of a life group that happens Sunday nights at 6 p.m. in homes all around the region. So here, this early church, converts come in from Rome. They begin having these home Bible studies and, and just kind of diving into the Word of God. And it began to grow and grow and grow. And, and soon there was a, a church that grew out of these home Bible studies. So he's writing to the church folk. Most had never met him before, but he's simply reviewing and clarifying what it means to be a believer, the very basics of Christian living, simply reminding them to live by faith and advance with grace. We'll get to this more over the next several weeks. So who wrote the book of Romans? It was Paul. Question number two, who exactly was Paul? Well, we've got to understand that he is the author. We grabbed a hold of that, but why does he have the authority to write this book to a, a group of people that mostly he never even met? Well, number one, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish guy. and In fact, in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, he says this, I was circumcised when I was eight years old. This is a, a Jewish tradition, a Jewish custom. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul says, I am the ultimate Jew, if there ever was one, I'm a Jew of all Jews, a Hebrew of all Hebrews, a Pharisee, part of the strictest religious sects. Now the Pharisees, they were so strict that if their clothing even touched somebody that wasn't a Pharisee, particularly a Gentile, they considered themselves unclean. That's how strict they were. They were the most rigid, legalistic group of Jews possible. So it's safe to say that Paul was a devout Hebrew Jew. Now, before he became a Christian, he persecuted the church. He just stated that. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. He would be the one that would go into where they were having a Bible study and, and drag them out, beat them, and perhaps even kill them because they professed to follow after Christ. He was the one that held the coat of Stephen. When they took stones and they threw them at Stephen to kill him. But it's in Acts chapter 9 that we see a transformation occur in a man by the name of Saul's life. 
Saul was walking to the road, down the road to Damascus, and suddenly a bright light shined from heaven, blinding Saul. God spoke out from heaven. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Could you imagine having that kind of experience with God? You're just walking down the road. You're going down Ohio Street. You're shopping at the stores. You're minding your own business. Everything is going great. And suddenly a bright light shines out of heaven. It nails you right in the eyes. You're blind. You can't see it all. And suddenly you hear somebody call out, why are you persecuting me? That'll light you up. Paul's response was basically, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you have in store? And we see this transformation take place in Saul's life. Saul now becomes Paul, writing the majority of our New Testament, what we find as our our guidebook of life. So he was a Hebrew, and he was also a Greek. Now, you're going to understand in a moment why this is important. He was born and raised in Tarsus. This was a a seaport coastal um, city. It was on the coast of Turkey. It was a university city. One of the greatest libraries of all time in the world was in Tarsus. It is told that Paul was highly educated. He spoke Greek fluently. This meant that he could travel internationally and and speak in several different countries with no issue, without any problem. You see, he was a Hebrew and he was a Greek, but he was also a Roman citizen. Now, this is important to understand because a Roman citizen, being a Roman citizen, gave you a pass or a privilege to the empire that those that were not citizens didn't have. Only about one in five people in the Roman Empire were actually citizens of the Roman Empire. One in five. The point that I want to make here is this. Paul had Hebrew background. He had Greek background. He had Roman background. And as a result, he was perfectly equipped to be an international minister to different countries all around the Roman Empire. The church in Rome, as I stated moments ago, was comprised of both Jewish people and Gentiles. You had both types of people. It was a multicultural, international church. Therefore, Paul was the perfect one to merge these two distinct groups together. Two different groups with different opinions. How many of you know when you get multicultural going together, you're going to have different views? You see, one group thought that the Christian faith should be this way. Another group thought the Christian faith should be this way. And then this group thought you should do this. And this group thought you should do that. And they understood it this way. And they understood it that way. And Paul says, let me bring unity together with my knowledge of being a Hebrew, my knowledge of being a Greek, my knowledge of being a Roman citizen. Let me put all that together for you and bring about unity within the church. Did you know unity in the house of God is vitally important? God despises those that bring about discord in the house of God. Throughout the Bible, we read about this. 
Time and time again, God says, man, don't cause discord in the house of God. Don't bring about division in the house of God. But we are to bring about encouragement. We are to bring about things that help, that raise up, that bring about growth in the spiritual life. We are to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, let me bring the two of these things together, all of this together in these two groups. Let me bring about a unified church. So who wrote the book of Romans? It was Paul. Who was Paul? Well, he was a, a Roman citizen. He was a, a Greek. He was a Hebrew. But our third question, this is where I want to hang out just for a few moments this morning. What can we learn from this opening sentence? See, I'm told that any time that you're making a presentation of anything, of any sort, people remember the first thing you say and the last thing you say. All the stuff in the middle, they zone out and they forget. So all this hard work that I put in every week, you remember the first couple things and you remember the last couple things. This in-between stuff, you kind of forget. So what can we learn? Hopefully that's not the case here. What can we learn from these opening words, this opening sentence that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 1, verse 1? Let me read it again. This letter is from Paul a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Man, I could spend about four weeks just on this one verse. There's so much information in there, so many things that we can grab a hold of. But for the next few moments, let's break that apart. Let's wrap ourselves around what Paul is getting at by his opening introductory sentence of Romans chapter 1. Four truths we can learn. Number one, like Paul, we are slaves. Like Paul, we are a slave. You're a slave and, and, and I'm a slave. We are born with a choice to make. And as time goes on in life, we will all become slaves to something or someone. Wrap yourself around that. I see a few head nods. I see a few deer in the headlights. But, but truth be told, as you go along in life, it's not going to take long. You're going to find something that grabs a hold of the, the primary part of your attention, something that you give the majority of your thought and your time and your efforts to, and that is going to be what you become a slave to. The question is, what is that going to be, or what is that for you? Paul chose along the way, remember I said he had a, a God moment, a God experience on the road to Damascus? He chose to, to change who his master was. As we get into this letter, we begin to see that, that Paul had been a slave to legalism. He had allowed the, the religious structure, the routine, he had allowed that to be his God. He said, man, as far as being righteous, I follow the law to a T. I didn't waver away from that law. I made sure every T was crossed and every I was dotted. I was right there. I was a Jew among Jews. I was the greatest Pharisee of them all. I knew the way to go, but the problem was he was focused on the wrong thing. God gets a hold of his heart. 
There's a life change. And now he tells us in the opening words, right out of the gate, he gives us his name. And then he says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. My name's Paul, and and I'm a slave. It's kind of like going to a a 12-step program. What do you do? You give your name, and you, you tell your issue. That's where Paul is. He's like, hi, guys. I'm Paul. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. And I can imagine all the readers went, hi, Paul. <laughs> that's, that's where he is. He said, this is the key point of my life. This is the focus of all I do. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Look at this. Romans chapter 6 reminds us. Paul says, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? Come on now. You become a slave. I become a slave to whatever, whatever that is that we choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Let me ask you a question. Which sounds better? Well, pastor, I just want death. That sounds great. You can choose a life of sin. You can choose to allow sin to be the focal point of your life. Or you can turn your life over to God, surrender to him, and let him take charge. What are you going to choose to serve today? Sin, money, popularity, partying? Or will your your choice be a surrender to God? Will you let him lead? Again, whatever you obey becomes your master. Whatever that is you choose to obey, that becomes your master. It becomes your God. You elevate it to a high position. In fact, the highest position in your life, whether you realize it or not. Now, this connection that Paul makes in the book of Romans right out of the gate with slavery it would have really spoken to the people in Rome. Why? Well, there was an estimated 60 million slaves at that point in the Roman Empire. Now, a slave for them was looked upon as a piece of property, not a person. So in loving devotion to God, Paul says, I'm a slave. I've enslaved myself to Jesus. Now, the word slave literally means one who gives himself up to another's will. Have you given yourself up to the will of God? Are you willing to give yourself up to the will of God? In other words, putting your own ambitions, your own thoughts aside and saying, Lord, whatever you have, Lord, whatever you want to do, See, if I would have had my way in my life, can I be really honest with you? I wouldn't be here today. I wanted to be a teacher. I had my education degree. I was already teaching in public schools. I had it all figured out. I did. By 35, I was going to have my master's degree. By 45, I'd have my doctorate degree. I would eventually teach at the university level, and then I would retire and travel around the states doing all state choirs, all district choirs. I'd be teaching young students all around the region. 
four years into my plan. God says, no, 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 no. Are you willing to follow the plan that I have for you? Are you willing to step off of your track onto the track that I have laid out before you? Are you willing to be enslaved by me to follow the plan and the path that I have in store? That's where Paul was. That's where I am. What about you? Are you willing to surrender your life to give yourself for the goodness and the greatness of God so you can be used for his kingdom? It's putting self aside and devoting oneself to another. That's what Paul is demonstrating to the church in Rome. That's what he's demonstrating to you and to me today. And as we discovered in our last series, now is the time to choose to commit completely to a relationship with Christ. See, not only was Paul a slave, but like Paul, we are chosen. You and, and I, every one of us in the room, we've been chosen by God. First Peter chapter 2 says it this way, but you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. It's not happenstance. Some of you have never been chosen for anything in your life. You were always last pick in gym class. Come on, any, any other last pick people right here? I, I, I got you. I got you. They were always like, oh, if I have to take Chris, I'll take him. <laughs> yeah. You've never seen me play sports. <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> America's Funniest videos right here. I'm just telling you. But with God, you're not last pick. You're first draft. He says, I've chosen you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God special possession. Come on. You're all special. You're a special possession of God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. How many of you has God called out of darkness? And he's brought you into his wonderful life light not a man-made light not something you can do on your own but a light provided by god a, a new hope a new life a future in him listen carefully to this this morning when you come to christ when you come to christ you're not just a volunteer you are commissioned you are chosen you are called out you are appointed by god you may think that you choose to volunteer to work in an area of ministry. You choose to pray with somebody as they tell you a need. You choose to share the good news. But truth be told, if you're not sharing the good news of Christ, if you're not allowing yourself to be a vessel that he flows through, if you're not giving of yourself for the betterment of others, guess what? You're AWOL as a Christian. Got like five people, and this is like the serious section right here. These, these guys are like, nope, I shall not be moved. It'll be okay. We'll get there. We got 18 weeks. 18 weeks for a breakthrough. You, you'll, you'll get there. This is only week one. You'll make it. 
Man, if you're not being used in ministry, you're AWOL, you're missing the point, you're missing your calling for God. You may not be called to be a pastor, you may not be called to be a teacher, but guess what? You've been called to be who God's called you to be. You've been called to be used for the betterment of those around you. You've been called to be used to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You've been called to be a light amongst the darkness. You've been called. Number three, like Paul, we are sent. What did Paul say he was chosen to do? He says, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out. In other words, it's more than just gathering together information. It's more than just gathering knowledge. Paul was a very wise individual, a lot of great wisdom. I would love to sit across the table at Ozark with Paul and just have a conversation and hear his heart and let him pour into my life. And we can do that in the book of Romans. But if all we have is information, if all we gain is knowledge, Sure, we're smarter, but we've missed the points. The word sent from some translations is used the word set apart or separated. Set apart in the Greek, it literally means the word horizon. It literally means streamlined or purposely narrowed down. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm set apart for the gospel. I have been sent out for the gospel. This is my one thing. This is the most important thing in my life. Nothing else matters. Nothing else compares to this. I've been called by God for this reason. I wonder, what's, what's the most important thing in your life? If you're not sure, look at your calendar. It's going to tell you. Look at your checkbook. It's going to tell you. What's the most important thing in your life? And finally, number four, like Paul, we have a message. We have a message. We're slaves, we're chosen, we're sent, and we have a message. Verse 2 through 4, he says this, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. God promised this good news. What is the good news? That Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, but he didn't remain dead in the grave. He was buried, yes, but he rose from the grave. He was our sacrifice the greatest sacrifice of all, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could truly begin to live the life that God had designed for us long, long ago. I want you to remember this, and I've told you this many times. You are not defined by who you were. You're defined by whose you are. 
the moment you give yourself to Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation. Paul wasn't the same guy after his Damascus Road experience as he was prior to that moment. He wasn't the same rigid, strict Pharisee persecutor of the Christian. No, 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 no. Now he is passionate about the things of Jesus Christ. Now he's passionate about, about raising up disciples, raising up people of faith to glorify God, to share that good news, to understand we've been chosen, we've been sent, we have a message. The good news that Jesus Christ died for us all. This isn't brand new news. It was prophesied about in the Old Testament. It was revealed through the life of Jesus Christ. It's been shared for over 2,000 years ago. But let me go back to our text this morning. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. I believe that in your life, and in the life of those in your circle of influence, for those that you come in contact with, I believe that now is the time for a breakthrough. Would you pray with me today?